Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are joined by the very Reverend Dr. Laurie Thompson from Trinity Seminary as we bring our Lenten series to its conclusion. Here is Dr. Thompson with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your welcome. Um, it is intimidating to sub for the man who I love and adore as a great mentor, John Rogers, and uh, I'd love to just pray right now, and I'd like to pray for John and uh, um, uh, his healing, and uh, as well as the word tonight. Our gracious, loving Father, we lift up our brother John Rogers to you and pray that you would, even now, be filling his body with your healing strength. Help his heart to function well. Help his mind and his spirit to be calm. Heal him, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as my, um, my son would say, Dad, you forgot to pray for the meal, too. And uh, that's, that's what we have to address today is the meal. And I just walked up here without my notes. Um, sweetheart, did I leave them right there, that little card there? I'm going to start today by, uh, I do want to mention my wife of, okay, here's the test, 43 years? Sir. 44, 44. Oops, I blew it. I'm in trouble. Um, but uh, I met this beautiful woman. I think I shared it from, from this podium before uh, in 1971. And um, um, I was trying to get her attention. And uh, she, she had an unusual pickup line. The pickup line was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and Doug, I didn't warn you. Youth ministers hate it when I tell this story. Because they don't like to encourage missionary dating. But she batted her eyelashes at me and knocked my world upside down. And she went up to a mission program up in the Quebec Labrador coast. And in the process of thinking about her testimony to me, it really did knock me for a loop. And so I began to think about this living God thing. And, and what, what was that all about? And... Uh, but it was interesting, as I look back on it now many years later, I realized God had much more to teach me about evil and about sin than he did about himself. Because he had to convince me that I needed a savior. And I'd grown up as the youngest of three older sisters. I was the last child. I was the hero, spoiled, rotten. I could do no wrong. And so God had to get my attention and, and teach me about how evil and how dark my heart really was, let alone how evil the world I was growing up in was. And so I, I uh, chased Mary. She was, she was up in a little village called Chevry. Uh, in those days, we called it Cross River. Um, and it, it was 400 miles beyond the last uh, place where the road stopped and and so I had to travel about 1600 miles to um to get to her and if she wasn't convinced that I really was taken with her after that but in the process I remember getting to a a, a number of things happened and I won't tell you all the stories but particularly one night in Quebec City I needed a place to stay and in those days this was the 70s there was a, a youth hostel which was the old uh, building called La Petite Bastille uh, in Quebec. 
And they opened it up for all the draft dodgers and the hippies and everything else that was traveling through Quebec in those days. And for, um, I think, $2 a night, they could give you a place to, to sleep. And, uh, and for 25 cents, they'd give you some soup. And that was, that was the fare. And I remember going into that place, and, and they uh, explained... I paid my $2, and, and then I said, can I get some food? And they said, pay your 25 cents, and I got some awful soup. It was terrible. Um, but then I, I flounced down on, on a bed. Uh, they were all bunk beds. We all had our sleeping bags. And to my shock and horror, this couple woke me up in the middle of the night, and they said, get off this bed. And they said it in French. And they said, we, we want that bed. And they did. And I got off the bed, and I will say no more. Let's just say they used the bed. It was a creepy world. And I looked around, and I saw the kind of down-and-out people, and and I thought, has it come to this that I have to... I had paid my $2 in place. I was part of this kind of messy, evil place. And suddenly in that moment of horror, I realized just how dark my heart was and how much evil was surrounding me. I blew out of town and got back to my trip as quick as I could the next day because I was shocked. I didn't think I was shockable by that stuff, but I was shocked. And in the days of the weeks following, I kept getting shocked more and more as God kept unveiling to me how dark my heart was and how much I needed help to get away from the evil which surrounded me. Well, I did give my life to Christ, and I'll tell you that another time. But I found the Lord, and and he walked with me, and then I... uh, Started to minister at a school called Denison University. And, and while there, um, I got, got the pastoral call and, uh, and then went off to England to study. And I had a wonderful man um, that John Guest will remember, I believe. His name was Paul Berg. And Paul said, well, you're a seminarian and now you need to really learn about a life in ministry. And I'm going to mentor you. And I said, that's wonderful. And uh, I said, I really want to learn about all the profound insights into who Christ is and, and all about the authority of Scripture and all about how to dazzle people with theological concepts. And Paul looked at me and said, I don't think so. He said, Laurie, I've been in ministry for 48 years or something at that point. And he said, you know, I haven't changed much of what I learned about Christ in the early days of my ministry. And I haven't changed much of what I've learned about the church. And I haven't changed my views on on what I think about God's saving hand. But he said, I'll tell you what's changed. My understanding of how bad people are. And I said, well, that sounds a little cynical. I would think that after all those years of ministry, you'd be, you know, singing the wonderful works of God's healing and redemptive love. And he said, no, no, he said, I I do proclaim that. But he said, what's changed 
is I've realized how bad and how evil people really are. And he said, my guess is you're going to stand up in some congregation in Swickley, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, 40 years from now, and you're going to be saying the same thing. And I want to say to you tonight, my views of Jesus Christ have not changed in 40 years. My views of the church haven't really changed much in 40 years. But my understanding of sin and evil has changed a lot. Because we are in a battle. And there's a reason why our Lord, in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, ends up, deliver us from evil. That has got to be an essential cry. Now, I want to refer to one more person that has been a profound spiritual influence in my life. Her name is Kathy Howe. At the time, she was, I believe, four and a half years old. Some of you may remember John Howe. He was the associate to John Guest at St. Stephen's many years ago. And John and Carrie had a little, little daughter. And I was at my first Christian conference ever. And um, I, I was told I, I could go to the BS. And I, as a, non, a new believer, I wasn't sure what a BS was. I was a little, a little worried what I'd gotten myself into. And someone had to explain that was Bible study, not something else. And, and so I went to the Bible study, and I was a little early. And, um, and, and there was this little four-and-a-half-year-old Kathy Howe. And she had this huge bowl of candy sitting in front of her. And she walked up to the bowl, and she hardly noticed me. But she knew she had an audience. And she said, I would really like that red candy and I said that looks like a nice one and she said but my mommy told me that I was not to eat candy before dinner she turned around and she walked away and then she turned back and she came back and she said I really like that green candy and I said that's a nice one too She said, but my mommy said, I can't. She walked away. And then she came back. And she looked at the pink one. She said, oh, I really, really, really want that pink one. And she turned around, burst into tears, and fled the room. And I think I shared that with you last year when I was here, but I I wanted to share it again because I've never forgotten the sense that she had of the struggle she was in. And in the Lord's Prayer, what he's teaching here at this point is is about two things. One, um, and and I've I've got to make a confession right at the bat, that word parasmos in the New Testament, um, I I don't like the way it's translated in the old-fashioned translation. I don't like it. And every time I say this in church, I usually lose half the congregation. Sorry, but I don't. Because the notion of God leading us into temptation is a misnomer. Our Lord, as we read in James and other places in the scriptures, does not lead us into temptation. So it's really not a good translation to say, lead us not into temptation. A better way, but it would be awkward in terms of the flow of it, would be, and cause us not to be led to temptation. 
That would work. That would work, but it would be awkward to say. Which is why I prefer the more modern, which is just a simple cry out, save us. Because I think that's the import of what Jesus is teaching. So on the one hand, there's the inside dimension of temptation. It's within our own being. And on the other, there's the external part of the evil which surrounds us. The poneru. Deliver us from evil. So cause us not to sin within our hearts, but also deliver us from the sin that surrounds us. So that's the bad news. And that's the bad news I want to share tonight. You're surrounded by evil inside and outside. You can't get away from it. Now, if I were really courageous, I'd walk out right now and just leave you with that message. And I'm kind of serious about that in a way. Because if I did that, I would hope I'd create a sense in you of desperation. And the problem, I think, with Christian followers of Jesus Christ is they're not very desperate. I want to urge people to be desperate. Because if you're not desperate, I don't think you're awake to what's going on around you, let alone within you. It's a real crisis. For my Lenten discipline this year, I'm reading Augustine's City of God. I'm only at book eight. It takes forever. But it's actual wonderful stuff. And he's describing, and he's describing the craziness of the church and the people outside of the church that fail to see how evil things have gotten. At some point, he gets quite graphic, depending on what translation you use. But he, he says at one point, he says, these wahoos don't understand what's going on. That's sort of paraphrased into my language. But he's looking at a world that is not realizing the way they're being seduced and, and, and brought down into an evil life and an evil world. I'm getting... Very excited about getting to the part in the book where he starts to talk about that city which calls us beyond. But he said, first, you've got to face the reality. You've got to face the reality of the broken relationships. You've got to face the reality that the structures are corrupt. That the world around us is falling apart. He said, you can't run away from those realities. So how do we as Christians... Get courageous about facing into those realities. How do we have that kind of resolve that I saw in little Kathy Howe, who could walk away and leave evil behind? It is a challenge, and it's a terrible challenge, but it's one that's always been happening. And that's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray. Let us not be caused to be tempted. Deliver us from evil. Save us, Lord. Again, the image I would use is Peter on the water as Jesus sends him out. And suddenly he realizes he's out in the middle of the water. And he freaks out and cries, Save me, Lord. That's the kind of save me that the Lord wants us to pray. It's not... 
a gentle and lead us not into temptation. Mm -mm. No, it's a cry from the heart. It's a cry from the very part of our being that knows we're desperate without him and that he alone can deliver us from evil and from sin. Well, let's, let's just talk for a moment a little bit about, about what evil is itself. In the Anglican prayer book, we talk about the threefold renunciation at baptism. And we talk about renouncing, renouncing three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, are those all just saying the same thing? No, they're not. They're saying three distinct things that we're fighting, that we're asking to be saved from. Because they all fit under the category of evil. On the one hand, there's the devil. Some people don't like to personalize the devil. And they don't want to think too much about it. But the forces of demonic realities are real. They're as real as the bacteria on our hands that we wash off when we go into the restroom to clean our hands. And they're assaulting our lives on every front. Well, some people said that gives me nightmares thinking about all that. Well, sorry, but it's true. There are forces, living personal forces of evil. In college, I remember a good friend of mine um, was, was, was a, a good guy, but had not found Christ. And um, his father died his, his senior year in, in high school. And he went off to the University of Pennsylvania. And instead of taking four or five courses, which would be a normal load, even that would be heavy, uh, he, he took eight courses and bullied the academic dean into letting him take three graduate-level courses while he was taking his undergraduate. And he was frenetically studying and just intensely learning things. And... It was as if someone had taken him over. He would call me and then we'd have these bizarre conversations. And he was just assuming knowledge and he wanted to ruin everyone around him. He wanted to prove to everyone in the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania he knew more than they did. And I began to sense that there was something really wrong here. And one night, in the middle of the night, I got woken up. And I felt the Lord gently tugging at me to pray and to pray for this friend of mine. And I did, and I couldn't stop praying. And, and I was overwhelmed with the sense of, of God guiding me in this prayer. And as I prayed, it, it wouldn't leave me. And it went on for a good 45 minutes to an hour. <coughs> I don't think I'd ever prayed that long in my life. I'm not sure I've prayed that long since. But I couldn't stop. And suddenly, at the end of the hour, this overwhelming peace flooded me. And I went back to sleep. The next day, the phone rang. It was my friend. Tops, I don't know why I'm calling you. No, I just decided I've got to slow down. I've dropped three courses. And I've decided I need to work on some relationships and start living a normal life again. I was stunned. Because I knew I was dealing with something far greater, far more forceful than my human faith could address. And yet I'd been part of a wonderful, 
deliverance for this young man. The devil is real. And the forces of the demons surround us. We can't avoid it. That's one of the reasons why the gospelers, Jesus said to his disciples, two things, know the gospel and proclaim it, and take authority over the spirits. We have that kind of authority. So we don't need to be freaked out by it. We just need to stand in the authority of his love and his power over the forces of evil that attack us. That's the devil. How about the world? This one, I think, is a far more insidious struggle for most of us. But it always has been for Christians because we've always been surrounded by civilizations and people that were attacking the gospel truth. And it's certainly no less true today in North America. Gospel values are being attacked on every front. And the insidious and cruel assaults on Christian belief terrify me. And yet we stand in resistance, knowing that our hope is in the one who gave us the faith in the first place. They were called to be, again to use Augustine's language, a city of God that shines amidst a decaying world, an alternative to the world we live in. Now, some people think that this is a negative view of the world and a negative view of humanity. I have no desire to be negative, but the scriptures teach us that the world is not a friend of the gospel and of truth and of the Savior. And we're resisting that. So when we go to work and people start to have a conversation that you feel a little uncomfortable with, do you speak up? Or do you slide into the mess that the conversation's headed for? I remember being raised in a home in Toledo, and I had a godfather and an uncle. Didn't quite have his mind around the faith. And he would make racist slurs in my presence. And I remember even as a young boy, it kind of broke my heart. And that day, that was not untypical. In that culture and in that place. But it was wrong. And I had to learn to pull apart from the world which would suck me into that kind of thinking. And take a stand against it. The world is trying to chisel away at us just very gently. Compromise our values. My, um, my wife and I have a little struggle with our, our children, and we tease them a lot. And uh, uh, as we're getting older now, they're, they're starting to raise those, my mom and dad are getting older, and what are we going to do about it? Questions. You know how that goes. And uh, my, um, our oldest son starts raising the question about powers of attorney. You know, when, when should he start filing for a power of attorney? And I say, well, honey, what, what are you going to do when we have a, a little bit of a struggle and we start to get goofy? And he goes, and we laugh about it and we're playful about it. 
But there's a part of that that's not so funny. Because we live in a society where, you know, a lot of people are, and they're not joking. And the disrespect for life and the sanctity of life. It was moving to me to be reading one section in Augustine City of God where he talks about older men. And I knew that Augustine took a strong pro-life and respect for the sanctity of life uh, position. What I didn't know, though, is he expanded it to more than just unborn fetuses. He expanded it to middle-aged, growing fatter, 66-year-old men. And he talks about how important it is to go out and get some exercise and to care for the body in your older ages and to respect the image of God in your person and not buy into the world's writing you off because you're no longer young and vital and so forth. I never would have thought Augustine would have talked me into going back into Pilates. (laughs) But he actually does. And he was writing that in the 4th century. You see, the power of the world hasn't changed. It's still the same problem. And respect for life is not just unborn fetuses. It's for older men and it's for all of us. God gave us life. God gave us life to treat it with care and love and respect. And our calling is to do exactly that in all the ways that we can do that. So I'm hanging in there with Pilates. And if any of you are doubting about whether you should or shouldn't get back there. We need to care. And not let the world tell us that we're not of value. We're not attractive enough. Whatever. And then there's the third category. Deliver us from evil. It's the flesh itself. It's who I am. As I like to say... It's when I really want to have a good, meaningful, quiet time in the morning and the alarm goes off. And instead of jumping up and splashing some water in my face, I slam the alarm down and go back to sleep. Sweetheart, don't make any comments, please. (laughs) Yes, we're weak and we're frail. And we do fight this thing called the flesh. But how exciting that the creator and the redeemer of the world is helping us fight. We're not alone in that fight. And he's pulling for us. He's pulling for me to be more disciplined in my eating habits and more disciplined in my piety and more disciplined in my study of quiet times and scripture. He's pulling for us. He's pulling for me. He's pulling for you. That makes the battle a lot more enjoyable. We're not left alone in it. He's reaching out to us saying, I want to help you. I want to help you. At seminary, we see a lot of very godly young men and women who uh, really desire to live a life that's biblical and faithful. But they tend to be kind of hard on themselves because they think they've got to know everything and they've got to be equipped and prepared for everything and over and over again I say to them you've got a lot of help 
You've got mentors and people who care for you that are pulling with you. But you've also got the host of heaven that's pulling for you. You've got the savior of the world who's there to help you. And yes, you'll struggle. But he'll be walking with you. He'll be encouraging you. He'll be guiding you. You're not alone. And you don't have to do it yourself. So where do I want to leave us tonight? Lord, deliver us from evil. How does he do that? He does that by reaching his hand back to us as we reach ours to him. And gives us his Holy Spirit to have authority over the spirits of the devil. To have authority over a worldly environment that pulls us away from truth and the gospel. And gives us the empowerment and the strength to fight our own flesh and our own brokenness. That's good news. That's good news. And he only, he only puts upon us one, one expectation. That we'd be hungry for righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of this will be added unto you. So we face a terrible battle. But when we say, Lord, save us from evil. He's delighted to do that. He wants to help every one of us overcome. He wants to walk with us, strengthen us, empower us. He wants to love us. Love us until we're ready for his presence. And that'll be a joy to join with him. I can't wait. It's exciting. It's good news. Lord, deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen.